You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Robbie Gallaty. The title of the message is this, A Life Worth Living. A Life Worth Living. September 8th of this year, uh, I was sitting in the front row, as I normally do, um, getting ready to preach. And uh, as I was just about getting up to preach, I received the text from a friend of mine. His name is Jared. And uh, Jared texted me at around 9.30ish, uh, 9.30 or 9.45 to be exact. And he just simply said, hey, love you, friend. Praying for you and your services today. May God use you mightily. And then I wrote, thanks, friend. When are you heading back? And the story on Jarrett was he lived in Nashville, moved to California to serve on staff with Greg Laurie. And uh, he was uh, the college and young adult pastor and had a huge following on Twitter. He just is a guy who resonated with with younger people. He was 30 years old. And uh, Jarrett and I became friends when he was in Nashville. And uh, he moved to California. He wanted to come back. And he said, I'm coming back to go all in on my ministry called Anthem of Hope. And if If you've heard of this ministry, it's a ministry Jared started to address mental health and mental illness from his own depression in his own life. He realized no one was talking about it. We both connected because of my own struggle with anxiety. And I said, bro, you need to come back. I'm about to preach a series on this. You can help us with this and we can give resources to people. And he said, hey, help me find a place to live. And so that's where we left it. That was Sunday morning. The next day, Jared did a funeral. I saw on on Twitter, Jared did a funeral for a girl who just committed suicide. And uh, he was just overwhelmed by that. But he said, hey, Jesus is still king and Jesus is enough and Jesus still loves you. And uh, he did that funeral. And I found out the next morning when I got up from his wife, Julie, that Jared, who was a champion of against depression and anxiety and suicide, Jared actually took his own life that night. Um, he was a pastor. Um, he was a father of two boys. He had an amazing wife, Julie. Um, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Th- this, this death has affected me more than a lot of different deaths. I've, and I've, I've walked through suicide before with people. Friends of mine committed suicide in the past. Um, what, what made it so real is the fact that we just talked the day before and you know, I went through a lot of questions like you, like, like could I have said something? Could I have called him? Should I have reached out to him more? Uh, and really, when something like this happens, there really are no answers for this. I mean, you can think about it, and um, it's pretty overwhelming to think about it. And, and you may be saying this morning, you know, Pastor, that's, that's not me. I'm like, I'm, I'm not there, but I have the same challenges. Because I know in a group this size, there are some of you in here today who would say, Pastor Ravi, I'm struggling right now. My, my life is monotonous. Like, like I once had joy and passion, but now my life is dull. My life is routine. Um, I used to have goals and plans in life, but now I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of going through the motions. That, that's maybe where you are now. You're probably saying, hey, listen, I maybe am dealing with depression. Here's the thing about depression. By the time you realize you have depression, it's already set in. 
And people who are diagnosed as depressed normally never see it themselves. It takes someone else saying, no, I think, and you're, no, I'm not, no, you're depressed. And one of the things I know about depression, even in my own life with years ago dealing with this in my family's life, I've realized that some depression happens as a result of life. I mean, that's how life, I mean, you're gonna have highs and you're gonna have lows and you're gonna go through seasons of a lull and then you'll come back out of it. Depression is something sometimes that you never come out of it through support groups or discipleship groups or life groups. Sometimes it takes medical attention because it's a chemical imbalance in your life. Now listen, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not diagnosing you, but I will tell you from my own experience, and some of you heard my sermon, if you haven't heard my sermon from last week on my own struggle with anxiety, struggled since 2012, still struggle today uh, with anxiety, uh, one of the things that helped me was medication. But just because I got on medication didn't take away the anxiety. Like as a follower of Christ, I still battle that and still have to depend upon the Lord and still have to have prayer uh, and dependence upon God. But here's what I wanna do this morning because you're probably saying, that's me. Like I'm there, pastor, and you're watching online, you're there. What I wanna do this morning is I wanna give you some hope because I wanna show you that depression doesn't define you. God uses struggle in our life to to uh, refine us, but it doesn't define us, amen? And I wanna show you this morning that there's a lot of hope in the Bible, and that's what I wanna do. I want you to see, number one, that you're loved this morning. Number two, you're not alone this morning. Because I know in depression, you think, uh, nobody's dealing, I'm the only one like this. That, that, that's a lie from the devil, you're not alone. And number three, I wanna give you hope to show you that there is light at the end of the tunnel, amen? And the answer is Jesus, right? Like Jesus, I believe, and I think you would agree, Jesus can do more in a moment today than you'd ever see a doctor or prescriptions or hospitals do, and I'm not against any of that, but Jesus can do more, do you believe this, in a moment than, God can, than any man can do in a lifetime. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me to the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. First Kings in the Old Testament. I wanna give us a quick definition of depression just so we know, so everybody's on the same page here. Uh, the American Psychological Association defines depression like this. Depression is more than sadness. People with depression experience a lack of interest and pleasure and pleasure in daily activities. Significant weight loss or weight gain, insomnia or excessive sleeping, lack of energy, inability to concentrate, feelings of worthlessness or excessive guilt, and recurrent thoughts of death or even suicide. Depression is the most common mental disorder. Fortunately, depression is treatable. A combination of therapy and antidepressant medicine can help ensure recovery. One, one of the reasons I'm preaching on these topics is I want you to see two things. In the church, particularly at our church, Long Hollow. It's okay to not be okay, amen? I was inviting my barber uh, this week to church and I was telling him, I said, we got a really cool church, which I have a good barber. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and, and he's, he's a captive audience, you can't go anywhere. And I'm like, hey, we got a really good church. One of the things about Long Hollow is when your pastor is a former drug addict, drug dealer, alcoholic, thief, and, and low life you know, sinner, you can't really go much worse than that, my friend. So, you know, you're, we got a great church. But anyway, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse one. If you're there, say word. 
We like to say it like we mean it at Long Hollow. If you're there, say word. Amen, amen. The word of the Lord. Here we go. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, now let me just stop here. Ahab and Jezebel are the the evil king and queen, if you remember. Elijah's just coming off a mountaintop experience where he just called fire from heaven down and destroyed and decimated the offering. And in just one chapter, we see the man of God go from victory to depression and on the run. Watch this, one chapter. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life look like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I pray this morning that there's going to be great healing. Not not only physical healing, because I believe, God, you're going to save someone physically and and preserve their life from this message. That's my prayer. But more importantly, emotional healing and, and, and more prevalent spiritual healing this morning. And so I pray today, God, if someone's struggling with depression, they would hear my story, they would see a testimony video, and it would show them it's okay to admit they're not okay. And that's the first step of healing. So we pray that now in the only name we know how, and that's the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said... Amen. All right, let me give you three steps uh, we see from the life of Elijah to combat depression because he's going to experience a depressive state. Number one is this. We need to remove unreasonable thoughts from our mind. We need to remove unreasonable thoughts from our mind. On the outside, Elijah looks like the poster child for ministry. I mean, here's a guy who just called fire down from heaven and now he's on the run, but, but he's like seen the power of God. He experienced the presence of God. I mean, he's the man. But then you'll see in just one chapter, he goes from a mountaintop to a valley and it just shows us how life can work. Here's what you gotta understand about depression. Depression just doesn't always come on as the result of bad decisions or bad circumstances. Sometimes depression will come on after a mountaintop experience. It's unexpected. It comes without warning. Notice Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he's on the mountaintop of victory. In 1 Kings 19, he's in the valley of despair. One chapter. In 1 Kings 18, he is experiencing great success. 1 Kings 19, he's experiencing great defeat. 1 Kings 18, he's experiencing overjoying, being overjoyed. In 1 Kings 19, he's experiencing depression. In just one chapter, you see this man just pivot from one emotion to the other. Now, one of the things about this text we'll see is that Elijah didn't get here overnight. This is a series of events that took place in his life. In fact, four of them, I'm gonna show you. Four things happened to him in this text that kind of built up this depression. Number one is this, write it down. He had fear. He had fear. Look at verse three. Then Elijah became what? Afraid. Elijah can face hundreds of false prophet men, but he cowers down in the face of one woman. Right? One woman causes this man to go, and no offense to the one woman, but the reality is one woman causes him to go on the run. So he's fearful of her. But you think about life. We, we can be fearful as well, right? We, we can be fearful of isolation, 
Some of you are fearful that you're going to end up alone for the rest of your life. Fear can come in many different ways. Fearful of your marriage falling apart. You're fearful that you're not going to get a promotion at work. Some of you are fearful you're not going to succeed. Some of you are fearful about your reputation looking bad. Some of you are fearful you won't make the grades in school. Some of you are fearful you won't get into the college you're going to get into. We have fear in life. And one of the things we see is that fear can cripple us. But it wasn't just fear. Number two, it was futility. Fears number one, futility number two. Look at verse four. He went on a day's journey, sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might what? Die. This is the man of God. He wants to die. And it had gotten so bad that he said, you know what? My life is not even worth living anymore. Now, you may know somebody like this. It may even be you. They're always pessimistic. Right? right? They always see the glass as half empty. They always see life as being clouds and storms. They're never, they're never positive. They're always negative. And so you have this process of now he's fearful. Now he's living in futility. Number three is he's fatigued. This is a big one. He's fatigued. He's tired. Look at verse five. Then he lay down and slept under the, the broom tree. Uh, sometimes mountaintop experiences take a lot out of you. Sometimes serving and working for God wears you out. Sometimes being successful, there's a great valley after that. And so we see that. Number four, foolishness. You start acting irrationally. Look at verse 10. Elijah said, I'm the only one left and they've all gone out. It'd be like me saying, listen, there's no other church. I mean, Long Hollow is the only church in town. There's no other place to go. I'm the only pastor in town. And you're like, no, there's a lot. And so Elijah's like, hey, I'm the only guy following you, God. I mean, really? And, and what happens is depression causes you to act irrational causes you to be paranoid, causes you to make foolish decisions. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're dealing with depression, if you're in a depressive state right now, I want you to realize you're not alone. Great men and women through the centuries have dealt with depression. Abraham Lincoln, you study his biography, debilitating depression. In fact, he would have to get away from people, they would say, just to kind of recover because it was overwhelming to him. Uh, Winston Churchill, the great leader, depression. Uh, Pablo Picasso, the painter, debilitating uh, depression. David Brainerd, the church I used to pastor, Brainerd Baptist, dealt with depression all of his life. The prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, remember him? Depression, his whole ministry. It was so bad toward the end, he almost couldn't be around people. And so I tell you that to show you that depression affects you, not just in the secular world, but also in ministry. And even in ministry, it doesn't make you immune. And even as a Christian, it doesn't make you immune from depression. In fact, I wanna show you four things about Elijah that's really eye-opening. Number one is this, Elijah had the right belief. <laughs> he had correct belief. What do I mean? This is a man who knew the promises of God. This is a man who showed up at church every week. If, if they went to church. This is a man who knew the, 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 the qualities of God. He knew God was long-suffering. He knew God was forgiving. He knew God was patient. He knew God was generous. He knew God was gracious, and he still was depressed. He had a lot of head knowledge, so he knew that. Number two is Elijah walked with God. He knew who God was, and he walked with him. What do I mean? He was a preacher, a mouthpiece for God. He talked to God. He listened to God. He was still depressed. Number three, Elijah witnessed miracles of God. 
Elijah was a man that if he prayed, the rain, the faucet of rain would turn off. And then when he prayed, prayed again in three years, he said, hey, God, can you turn the faucet on? Okay, turn the rain back on. He had the ability to do that. He could pray for a widow's son to be raised from the dead, and it happened. So he was a man who witnessed the miracles of God. Number three, he experienced the power of God. He just got off of a true mountaintop experience where he called out to God, and God sent flaming fireballs from heaven to earth and consumed the offering. I don't know about you. I'm checking. I'm done after that. Man, I don't care what happens. Like, I got God on speed dial to call down flaming fireballs from heaven. I'm done, right? But he still was depressed. And here's the third one. Elijah was in ministry for God. If you're in ministry, now look at me. You may say, well, I'm not in ministry. We're all in ministry. We're all ministers of the gospel, according to Ephesians 4.11. Equip the saints, church folk, church members, for the work of what? Ministry. So we're all in ministry. But let me talk to those who are life group teachers, D group leaders, uh, pastors, and staff members. Listen to me. Here's a man who's depressed in ministry. And here's one of the things I was thinking about Elijah this week. Don't let what you do for God define you. Because it's easy in ministry to say, God's working, so I'm good with God. God's not working physically, I can't see, so I'm not. And so don't, don't tie your emotion to what you do, okay? Don't, your emotion, in a sense, to your devotion. Don't let that define you. When I went to seminary years ago, uh, the church I attended was literally around the corner on Paris Avenue. And when I lived, I lived in Chalmette, so we had to drive, I had to drive past the seminary on Sunday morning to the church. And when I go to the church, I would look in the parking lot and I would see that the parking lot of seminary student cars was mostly filled on Sunday morning. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but and it's not just at New Orleans, it's a lot of schools. And so the next week in class, I asked David Platt, who was a friend of mine, and I, I was serving with David, and I said, David, why, why aren't seminary students going to church on Sunday morning? And David says, kind of sheepishly, kind of embarrassed, he said, well, sadly, a lot of seminary students think that they don't need another sermon on Sunday when they've studied the Bible Monday through Friday. I said, what? He said, yeah, they, you know, people think, well, since I use the Bible to preach, and I studied the Bible for papers, and I memorized the Bible for class, I don't need to go worship on Sunday and hear another message. And I was just bothered by that because I thought, and here's what happens, don't miss this. What happens in that scenario, and we all can get there, is that people can use, particularly preachers, pastors, can use the Bible as a tool and not a treasure. See the difference? It's a tool for ministry. And what you have to realize about ministry is it's a seductive mistress. What I mean is you can get more joy and satisfaction for what you can get from God than what you can do for God. And here's the challenge for all of us. Don't miss this. Don't ever get in the place, watch this, where you fall in love with the ministry of Jesus and at the same time fall out of love with the Jesus of our ministry. You know who did that? The Pharisees. They were good at doing things, but their hearts were far from God. Depression doesn't just come, though, when, when times are, are bad, when you're down in the dumps. Depression actually comes on the heels of a mountaintop experience sometimes in our life, which is number two, stop neglecting your body. Number one, remove unreasonable thoughts. Number two, stop neglecting your body. Look at verse three. 
Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. So he goes a long way, stops. He's like, hey, no, you stay here. I'm gonna go by myself. Goes on a day's journey by himself. He sits under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and what? This is so good. Get up and eat. Now, scholars say that when Elijah leaves uh, the mountaintop to the moment he's under the broom tree when the angel comes is about two months. So he's in a depressive state for, he's in a valley for two months. Some of you say, hey, I've been in that pastor for, for years, but he's been in it for two months. And he goes with his, his servant and he says, hey, you stay here, I'm gonna go by. So he walks a, a day just to get alone. I mean, that's a long walk to get alone. He walks miles to get away. And psychologists call this withdrawing. That's what happens. When you're depressed, the last thing you want is to be around people. So you withdraw to be by yourself. And God says, no, that's not how it's gonna work. So God sends an angel. What's cool about an angel is you can't hide from God. And here's an encouraging thing. Some of you, look at me. Some of you feel like you're alone today, but you're not because God's there. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. That's what the Bible says. So he, 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 God sends an angel and the angel's like, hey, uh, Eli, uh, here's some food, eat. Now, I love this. What did the angel not do? Think about this. What didn't he do? Hey, let me give you a systematic explanation of depression through the Bible. Didn't do that. The angel didn't tell him a, a, a great doctrinal insight. The angel didn't remind him of the promises of God. The angel didn't even say, hey, you need to go see a counselor. Didn't say that. The angel didn't even say you need to do something in a sense, like, like go follow these rules or, 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 or listen to these regulations. The angel simply said, you're gonna love this. This is deep here. The angel said, hey, you need to eat and take a nap. What I'm about to tell you may be the most spiritual thing some of you can do today, okay? You're gonna follow me. The most spiritual thing some of you can do. When you leave church today, the best thing for you to do is to go home and take a nap for the glory of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, now we like to call, we, we kind of, glam, well, Tim LaFleur glamorizes it in the church. He calls it the shepherd's rest, whatever that. I didn't know shepherd's rest, but anyway, it's a nap. And some of you need a nap. The most spiritual thing you can do is rest and take care of your body because here's what happens. You and I are good at justifying success for the cause of Christ and saying, hey, I'll just burn out for God and then I'll go to heaven. That's what I used to say. I wanna be a bottle rocket for Jesus. I'm just gonna burn out and go to heaven. And that's so foolish, here's why. Because our body, we'll talk about this in two weeks, you don't wanna miss this on Sabbath thing. Our body is a stewardship issue. You could say, I'm gonna neglect the body. No, your body's a temple. You neglect this body and you go to heaven prematurely it's not God's fault, it's our fault in a sense because we neglected the body, right? And so some of you need to, listen to me, slow down and take a nap because here's what I've realized. 
Either you will depart to be with the Lord or you will come apart from stress. Either you're gonna Sabbath and rest and, come and get apart, be set apart to be with God or you'll keep pushing in your nose to the grind and keep kind of powering through and you're gonna come apart. And believe me, from experience, I know what that's like. But here's the final thing. What we see in the text is number one is we have to stop thinking, remove these unreasonable thoughts. We're alone, nobody's experiencing this. That's not true. Number two is we need to think about these neglect, the neglect of our body. Because some of us in here are really neglecting our body. We're not slowing down, we're not resting, uh, we're not eating healthy, and so we need to slow down and do that. Number three is we need to start talking to someone about our struggle. We need to talk to someone about our struggle. Look at verse nine. He entered a cave there and slept or spent the night, which I think it's so interesting. He, he sleeps like multiple times in this passage. You ever saw that? Like he's working, working, but then that's all he does is sleep. And then he gets up and he sleeps. And then he gets up and he sleeps again. He slept the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I want to ask you that question. Look at me. What are you doing here? I'm not talking about like here this morning in this place. I'm talking about how did you get to where you are today? Like what happened? How did you, how did you get here? What were the events that set this off? Because whenever God in the Bible, this is an interesting sidebar, whenever God asks a question in the Bible, he already knows the answer. He wants you to know the answer. And I love what God does. When God through the angel says, hey, what are you doing here? He wants Elijah to share. He wants to hear his frustration. He wants to hear his pain. He wants him to verbally admit his struggle. He wants him to say, I need help. And that's the thing. And you may say, well, we don't, I can't talk to God. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. We listen to God from his word and we talk to God through prayer. And we listen, obviously, through prayer too. But we talk and listen through prayer. It's a communication with God. But the, but the, but the thing that is equally important is talking to believers. God has given us a church here whereby we have believers we can talk to and share our burdens. Duke University, a few years ago, did a study of 4,000 adults struggling with depression and anxiety. You can go look this up. 4,000 adults, and they found that when those adults went to church with depression, it reduced their depressive feelings in half by simply going to church. <laughs> you ever miss church for a while? You just feel like down and out, anybody? I'm like, Man, I just, I don't know what it is. I know that happens to me when I don't read the Bible. Like if I go week, or I don't go week, but if I go days, thankfully I don't go weeks, but if I go days without reading the Bible, <laughs> some of you think, well, what kind of pastor is this? But anyway, <laughs> anyway read, I don't even read the Bible. I don't even read the Bible. Candy writes all my sermons anyway, but anyway. <laughs> But if you heard her preach, you'd think so. But anyway, I love you, babe. But anyway, <laughs> but, but the reality is I feel it. Like I can sense when I'm disconnected out of the word, not around people in, in, in the body of Christ. But here's the thing. Some depression leads to suicidal thoughts. I heard an interesting statistic the other day that said 65, 70% of Americans at one time had suicidal thoughts. 
Now, they wouldn't act on it, but they had these suicidal. You know, maybe I'll just end it, and, that, and that'll make it easier. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for the ages of 15 to 44. Did you know that? The second leading cause of death between 15 and 44. 250,000 people every year are suicide survivors. Think about that number. Somebody commits suicide every 12 minutes in America. Every 12 minutes, somebody takes their life. The largest increase of suicide is in teenagers today. In one decade, the, the, the suicide rate, and we know this in our town, we know this in our community because we've heard of it recently. The largest increase is 50% increase in suicide among teenagers in 10 years. And I think, and my prediction is it's only gonna get worse. You'll hear my sermon next week on social media and the internet. You don't wanna miss that one. Uh, as we talk about. So let me just speak to you if you're in here today, you're watching online, you're at Gallatin. If you're thinking about suicide, look at me. Let me encourage you not to make a permanent decision to solve a temporary problem. I just want to encourage, I've been there, I've been in depressive states. I've lost friends and thought maybe it's easier for me to just in my life. And the way I lived in the drug world, I never thought about living. I was on the brink of death. But I want you to know, it will end. The, the, the pain will go away. You believe that? Like the depression will end one day and, and the darkness will dissipate. And the isolation will dissolve. And the pain Will go away. And I just want you to know, don't make a permanent decision ending your life thinking that it's going to solve a temporary problem. Depression will go away. And I'm here to tell you from someone's experience, it will go away. And you might be saying, well, why am I experiencing this? Why would God allow something so bad to happen to me? I'm reminded of the, the, the blind man in John chapter nine. If you remember, the, the disciples walked by and they said, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he born blind? Did he sin or his parents? They said, we want to blame somebody. We, we want to find out the reason for it. We want to find out why he's like this. And Jesus said, it's none of that. Jesus says, this man's temporary challenge is a platform to preach the glory of God. And I know we don't think this way, but it could be that your present depression is the very means that God is using to bring people to himself. And some way, somehow, God's going to use this for his glory. We know that. He promises that in his word. And so I want you to think about this. If that's you, don't, don't give up. If you follow the life of Elijah, the next chapter, Elijah passes on the baton of discipleship to Elisha. So Elijah, I know it's kind of confusing. Jah passes it to Shah, Elijah, right? And here's what's so cool. It's almost like Elijah's entire life was for this defining moment, that he would take his ministry, pass it on to his mentor in the faith. And the Bible says Elisha is going to do twice as many great works for God as, Eli as the former. The latter will do greater than the former. And we have to believe this in our own life. Some of you are ready to throw in the towel, but don't. Here's why. The defining moment of your life may come after your depression. And the greatest season of victory may come after the darkest season of your life. So I want to encourage you, don't give up.